sometimes it sounds more complicated than it is, right? And I, I've seen many people, like their eyes glaze over and they say, oh, I'll leave that to finance. And that's the last thing you do. Once you have a model where everything you do makes a little bit of money, then it's a pure volume game and it's easy. You can come and talk to them at my parties, but whatever referent number you want to, you're always welcome. You're always welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I look forward to the invites. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll be looking at how the financials of a loyalty program work and how they have the potential to create beautiful businesses which connect the brand with, directly with their customers and generate money in ways that are unique to the loyalty industry. In this podcast, we'll explore the moving parts of the loyalty business model and understand how they can make or break a business. To help look at this fascinating subject, I'm joined by two of the world's leading experts in this subject. They are literally on my speed dial for any questions regarding loyalty economics. Um, so tonight I'd like to welcome um, Phil Gunter from Australia. Hi, Phil. Hi, Ian. Morning. Oh, morning to you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and Stuart Dinnis. So again in Australia. Hi, Stuart. More early morning for you too. Yeah. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Brilliant. 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 Um, so kick off tonight. Let's start with a quick overview of the financials of loyalty programs and why they're important to loyalty program design. Phil, this is right up your street. Do you want to take us away with that? For sure. Uh, well. I'll go straight into it because right at the, the most obvious thing is that a loyalty program can uh, deliver enormous benefits to a business. That's why you have them. But at the same time, it can have quite significant costs. And uh, it's, uh, without a good financial model and the most simplistic, you could be you need to understand both sides and how they interrelate. And if you don't understand that in its worst case, a loyalty program can cost you a lot more than it's delivering. And in, the, in its Best case, a loyalty program can deliver not only for the business, but you can have really controllable costs and a beautiful business in its own right, which, which generates its own income. Uh, so the, Lord's, the financial sort of structure is needed to A, understand all that, but then B, once you understand it, you can refine the model. Once you understand the cost and the, and the revenues and how they interrelate, you can refine the model so that it's a beautiful business model where everything that you do makes money. And this is the bit you want to get to, because once you have a model where everything you do makes a little bit of money, uh, then it's a pure volume game and it's easy because you can then focus on the customer and not worry about normal um, normal restrictions, which I see constantly, where, com where, where businesses are trying to manage their their, their costs and manage their, um, their liabilities, because in a beautiful business model, it just takes care of itself. But you've got to yeah, understand it, it to design it. And it's a really good point, Phil, because you say a beautiful business model, but you know, you know, you and I have worked in lots of different industries, and those industries are all so different. You can't; it's not just one beautiful business model. Each of them have to be bespoke to that client in that industry. Otherwise, totally, yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, exactly that, and they vary massively. But the core to everything, I, I always believe, the core to, you've got to understand your customer. But then, understanding customer and understand the economics, understand the financials yeah. and how they interrelate, and then, then it, it's easy. Yeah, I agree. And what are the key moving parts of the loyalty business model? Um, can you help us with that, Stuart? Yeah, so um, yeah, I think the, the program design is probably the, the piece that, that you and Phil were just talking about that's got to be customised to every individual business. And um, 
So the pro- program design's got to go with the business model, but underlying that, it, it, the financial model is exactly the same the world over. It's not hard. Uh, basically, you, know, you, you have a point, a point has a value, uh, maybe that's worth roughly a cent. Uh, that point gets billed every time a customer earns a point, gets billed to a partner or billed to the uh, sponsor, being you know, the airline or the hotel or the retail business. Um, and uh, that bill, that billing of that point is not revenue. Most people get that completely wrong. Um, that billing is actually a receivable. Um, that point gets broken up. So part of it goes uh, to the balance sheet into what's called the deferred liability. Um, and that liability is kept for a future purchase of a reward. Uh, and part of the point uh, gets recognized as, as revenue up front uh, these days. Um, so when the customer accumulates enough points, does enough activities, there should be enough money on the balance sheet in that deferred liability uh, for the loyalty business to then go and purchase a reward, purchase a gift voucher, purchase a toaster, purchase a vacuum cleaner, purchase a flight or a hotel room uh, from the partner. And so, um, so they go and do that on behalf of the customer later and uh, the deferred liability gets back to zero. So uh, they make a little bit of margin. And in those economics, Stuart, can you just explain to, to, to listeners about why frequent flyer programs make millions and millions of, of pounds and why retail programs perhaps don't? They're off cost center. Yeah, look, um, at the end of the day, loyalty programs are really just a substitution of, of marketing costs for buying billboards or, or running TV ads or digital spend. Um, when you get enough scale in your program, and, and you know, eight out of 10 programs probably don't get to that scale, you start to bring in third-party partners. And when you bring in those third-party partners where you know, it could be a credit card with a financial services partner or it could be simply just a, another partner uh, down the road who wants to access your database and offer their, their members your points, um, that becomes cash into your business. Um, so it's third-party cash coming into your business, which is you know, new cash flow into the business, new revenue stream effectively that the business never had before. Uh, once you start to do that, you can open up a little bit more margin and uh, it becomes very working capital positive. So, so positive um, cash flow to your business, uh, which is great for the working capital uh, within the business. And so the more and more you do that, you end up with uh, third-party partners helping pay for and support the economics of your loyalty program. And ultimately the airline as well in some cases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, you, know you can treat the uh, the third party partner as uh, an airline or a hotel, or, or you know, ultimately your your an airline or hotel program uh, who um, who then partners with you know car rentals and, and uh, um, retail partners, you know, shopping malls, on, online shopping malls, etc. Uh, and um, each of those start to bring in you know retail funded. Um, you know, points um, coming off credit cards or, or other everyday spend uh, that helps helps uh, generate some margin for your business and um, and reduce the, the cost for you from a scale perspective. But an- another thing I'd like to add to that is is the difference because you asked why why airlines can make money and sometimes retail programs can and there's there's a fundamental difference for any it's not just airlines but any uh, 
business that is able to just generate a perceived value of a reward higher than the actual cost. So in air, in seats, it's, it's obvious, but it's, it's basically anything with a perishable product. Because if you have a perishable product, then the cost of, of uh, displacing it, you know, it, it can be close to zero. Um, whereas the perceived value can be much higher. And if you can have a higher value than the actual cost, then that's the magic point, not only with the volume, like Stuart's talking about, but then you can justify to your partners a high price because there's a perceived uh, value in the point, um, but the cost to you can be much lower. And you, if you open up that gap, then 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 you could be hugely profitable. And that's not yeah, just so, quite as, as anything. No. Yeah, so yeah. airlines and hotels, you know, planes already have a plane full of people flying. They've paid for the fuel. They've paid for the cabin crew. The seat's just sitting there free. Um, it's normally sold for a couple of hundred dollars, um, high value. But realistically, the true marginal costs, which is what we talk about in the accounting world, uh, are really just a little bit of, um, you know, extra fuel burn, which is nothing. And then some, you know, transit fees for a passenger as they move through an airport. Um, with a hotel, it's similar. The the rooms already there. Um, it's just a bit of cleaning cost, really. So, um, so as we say, perceived value is high, but the true marginal cost to service that actual room or or, or you know uh, airline seat is very low. And so that's where um, you know airlines and hotels can make a lot more money. Uh, and, and anyone can, as Phil says, with a perishable cost. Yeah, especially with the value of the premium products too for those as well. Um, now, if they're the moving parts of a loyalty business model, then can you give us examples of where it goes right and it's b- good for everyone? And also some ex- examples where it's gone wrong and the, 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 the mix hasn't worked. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're going to name and shame. Um, no, I... but, but as New World Loyalty, uh, we, we, we go in, we're constantly called in, um, because I, I, either the people sense that it's done something not quite right with the economics or they think something else is wrong, we lift the bonnet and we find out the economics is broken. Um, and the, like I say, the economics underpins everything. The financial model underpins everything. And we've, we've seen when there's been enormous shortfalls. So there's the, 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 the financial model didn't have enough money. Um, so there wasn't enough money to pay for the rewards. And that creates enormous pressure in the system. So it's because basically then the program is trying to reduce, reduce um, redemptions they haven't got enough to buy the rewards they need and, and most of the effort is about re- reducing costs which of course doesn't work for the customer and then the program's not functioning very well um, but we've also we've also seen the opposite where companies have been too too generous in their policies and have, have built up huge assets in the balance sheet which can be released or some of that can be released so some of the projects we've done we, we go in there, we walk out, and they've had an instant in- injection of, of, of several millions of dollars released from the balance sheet, which has been more than enough to cover all the cost of the, of the project, or, or the program re- reinvention and everything. But, yeah, I agree. Um, I, think, the- I think from, from my experience of seeing things, it's this law of unintended consequences that happens all the time where a program is designed and it's designed to change certain behaviours. And then once you let that, let that thing go into the wild, it, there's then laws of unintended consequences which follow that, and often that then leads to the, the to the program making decisions which don't seem to make sense from a customer perspective or a business perspective, and then it starts to unravel. And these yeah, things happen them, all the time. A lot of them don't make sense. 
That's yeah. the thing. Without, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's so true. Without a really good financial model where you can see the, the, not just the cost of things, right? One of the problems I see is that often the cost is quite well measured, but the, but the, the other side of the, of the equation isn't. Um, then things are, are often done, which, which just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for the customer. It doesn't make sense for the program. It doesn't make sense for the host. Um, and that's, that's why I say if you get the economic, you get the framework right, you can actually predict what's going to happen, right? But um, I don't want to talk about old schools, but um, in, in businesses that I ran before, it, it was highly, it's a beautiful business because it's highly predictable. Once you have it, have it running and, and well measured, you can measure anything. And if you do a few things over a few times, you're highly predictable and that's when you can refine things and you, and you can get... A, you can get a beautiful situation where all players, the partners are winning, the customers are winning, the, your program's winning. That's what you're trying to get to. But you can't do that without the economic model, the financial model underpinning it. No, but it's interesting what you said about players there and the analogy you're using there, because actually in this game, the referee keeps changing the rules. So one year you might be working on one set of rules and the next year those rules completely change. So, um, Stuart, can you tell us a bit about how those accounting rules have changed over the time and what the consequence of those have been on, on programmes and how we, how we uh, account for things? Yeah, yeah. let me get into that. Um, I'm just going to reiterate a point that Phil made on the financial model, which before we talk rules, um, you know, I think it's important. You've got to treat the loyalty programme like a separate business. That's the biggest secret, I think, it, there is to this uh, this whole um, setting up of the financial structure. If you treat it just as a cost and a line item on the P&L for the, the major business, it's always going to remain a marketing cost. But if you step back and set up your financials so that it is a business and you're going to make money out of that business and it treats the airline, the hotel, the retail program as simply another partner, that is the biggest secret to getting the financial model and the commercial model in, in the economics right. I, I would agree um, with that. I think if you treat it as a cost within marketing, sooner or later, finance will get their hands on it. And as soon as finance get their hands on it, the customer will suffer. And as soon as the customer suffers, it's not a loyalty program anymore. It's it, You're going to get complaints and you're going, it's going to reflect on the on the And that's the absolute anathema to what you were trying to do in the first place. I completely yeah, agree with that. There's power in knowledge. And if you've got the both sides of the, of the equation in your hand but when when finance come and asking for some cost you can say and this is the revenue that goes with it and that is really powerful for defense but it's also powerful for uh when you're trying to grow your your, your cost base when you want more investment when you can go with a really clean business case which says we do this and this is what we get we do this and this is what we get that's really powerful because that's one of the beauties of, of running a loyalty business uh, is that you have got both sides of the equation and you can come up, come up with genuine, measurable cases where give me more and I'll give you a lot more. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So, Stuart, you were going to talk about the referee keeping changing the rules. So the rules yeah. have changed over time and they keep changing? Well, they, they have over the last 20 years. You know, um, I, I talked a bit before about the marginal cost for you know an airline to fly a seat or a hotel uh, or a, the marginal cost being you know, the wholesale price a retailer's paid for a toaster or a vacuum cleaner or a kettle. Um, that was all the cost that was recognised in loyalty previously from a marketing point of view. Uh, in 2009, uh, the rules changed in a major way where 
um, IFRS um, 13 came in and it was AIR, so it was an accounting interpretation uh, originally for um, 2009. But um, what it meant was that point now had uh, a change in the way that people could recognise revenue and costs. They could break up the point. So the point when it was billed, um, part, part of it could be recognised as a marketing revenue um, today, which matches the marketing costs you've got to market that point with your partners, uh, and the rest of it would go to deferred balance sheet. In the old days, um, you'd just take the true marginal cost and put that on the balance sheet, and there was no real you know, revenue value in billing for the point. Yeah, so, which, which um, made the programs hyper profitable. That's the yeah. They it, were. it either made the programs hyper profitable if people recognised revenue for the, for the billing, or they just recognised the true margin. So there was actually no revenue and no profit up front. It was all pushed back to the end um, to the cost. So um, you know, it was just a, a marketing cost. Um, Two thousand and nine allowed programs to start to realise some margin in those points and change the timing of matching revenue and cost together. And, and so that was important for a lot of programs. Um, that allowed a revaluation of a lot of uh, balance sheets at the time in that transition. And, uh, and so, you know, some major programs globally um, made a lot of money from a profit point of view, which was just simply moving numbers between the balance sheet and the P&L. It was just a bit of bookkeeping. There was no actual profit in it. Um, but um, it, uh, it generated a lot of interest back then. But the impact of that change has been massive on the, on the, organi- on the uh, industry. Because you, you go back, um, it's, it's not that long ago, but you go back, nearly every loyalty program was, was, part, of a, was part of marketing. It was, it was, it was, some, of the, some of them were, uh, kind of broke away, but they were still ran by marketing people that didn't understand the numbers that the numbers were, were less important. Um, most of them, most bi- people, most businesses that ran big programs were sat on huge liabilities and didn't know what to do with it. So the, 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 the change in the rules came out from this problem that the, uh, the, the largely the airlines, but they were selling so many points in, it, it, they were selling lots of points without ability to get rid of them that they, there was a, a, basically an economic bubble building. Um, and exactly. And there was a lot of consultants running around back in the, the early 2010s talking about all these built up liabilities and what a problem it was. I used to say to people that was just an opportunity because it was my future revenue stream. It was my future redemptions where I was going to make some margin as well. So, um, so I think, um, you know, rolling forward to 2018 was the next change that occurred. Uh, around revenue recognition from IFRS 15 on um, on you know, customer contracts. And basically, uh, a lot of programs were just caught out, caught napping here, where they used to recognise revenue when the person redeemed the points, um, which could be this month. But when the person actually went on the plane or sat in the hotel, that could be in two or three months' time. And uh, they should be recognising it when the customer actually, you know, sat in a hotel or sat on the plane seat. So um, and that was simply a timing and it was just a, a one-year adjustment um, between those two. But um, the big thing is probably driving things at the moment that's, that's a challenge for the industry and it's you know, um, mostly in you know, a lot of programs is you know, not all programs have to have 
IFRS compliant, but if you do have the IFRS compliant accounting, it's easy to set your program up for success later. Um, when you do get to that stage where your, your business has to um, be IFRS compliant or US GAAP compliant, the challenges come down around segment reporting, um, which goes back to IFRS 8. Um, segment reporting is just around public availability of your information. So if you're not a listed organisation, you're private or you're a government-run organisation or largely government-owned and, and governments in each country have slightly different requirements from an accounting point of view, an audit point of view on some organisations. But um, if you're publicly listed, you'll have to you know, face the challenge of segment reporting, which means the loyalty program, like the airline uh, that also owns a freight business, will have to be you know, shown in their financials and disclosed. And a lot of big programs are starting to do that. And we, we see that in the US with um, you know, a lot of the big programs using their loyalty program to help them go and raise funds, yeah. raise debt, yeah. so to survive corona at the moment. Yeah, it's becoming very common. So finally, can we, can we end with what you see as the key risks and opportunities that program managers need to be aware of going into 2021? Sure. I'll state the, state the bleeding obvious though, but um, the key opportunity is as things return to normal, leveraging your, your current customers or, your, or your, your, your loyalty base is going to be so important to businesses. It's so important to, to pull that lever and leverage all the tools you've got in that, in that, in that bucket to, to, to make, uh, help the business return to normal. It's so important that it's, 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 it's the easiest lever to pull and they've got to do it. I see the biggest risk is that uh, businesses will, again, through, through maybe misunderstanding some of the cost and revenues, but they may go after the cost line. They may pull back on the resources for the loyalty programs. They may re- reduce some of the costs. They may cut the customer CVP. I'm seeing some of this already, which is sad. And they may chop their, their, their legs off of the other key tool just when it's, when it's able to come into its own. Uh, and I do worry that it, it, it's, it's almost unavoidable lots of lots of pay, pay, uh, businesses are going to go after that um, and then in in it won't be until after the event that they'll realize that they made, they made an error yeah yeah and, and Stuart and look I, I yeah I think um, it feels right there's going to be a lot of um, you know CFOs from from airlines and hotels in, in the big end of town um, going after the actuarial assessments of you know expiry rates uh, with expiry being pushed out like status is being given away you know, for free, uh, it's going to push out um, expiry revenue, which a lot of, lot of programs do kind of look at and rely on. Um, as that moves out, you know, the, the, assess, the, you know, the assumptions around um, accruals on revenue recognition for expiry are going to have to change. That affects the program liability, uh, which means more money is required on the balance sheet as less is coming off through the free expiry. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's going to be a cost to a lot of programs in topping that up. The, the flip side is programs need to look at revaluing uh, their points. And, uh, and, you know, there are ways to get the, the value of those points off the balance sheet and, and you know, back into the P&L. So uh, I think a, a good assessment and support from a finance team that know what they're doing uh, will help you manage through that that challenge. Beyond that, uh, it's really around engaging customers. So you know, um, the biggest opportunities are you know engagement. It's you know, no one wants expiry. Expiry is actually bad. Expiry equals disengagement. 
So in good engaged customers, as Phil said, in, in any program, working with those customers. So you've got to devote the tools to do that and, uh, and, and engage the customers. And if customers are earning points, you know, it's about creating liquidity in your program and moving the cash through your program. And, and moving cash is customers engaged at the front end, earning points, customers engaged at the back end, redeeming points. So um, the yeah, quicker I think you get I, that liquidity moving, the better. I mean, what I would say is, is, is just we're, we're entering a time of hard times, I think. And I think that having worked four years for a loyalty program, justifying one that really didn't work, I think if I'm honest with myself, I would say what it didn't work and it wasn't adding value to the company. I think now's the time to be honest with yourselves. And, it, and, and Phil, you said it before, it's, it's a balance. Your, your benefits have to exceed your costs. And you know every loyalty manager knows their costs, but not every managed, managed loyalty manager knows your benefits. And those benefits are simply, are you influencing customers? Do you really think your program's influencing customers? If so, how many is it influencing? And, how, and is, that, is that change of behavior, the margin you're gaining from that change of behavior, enough to justify the costs that, you, that, that are underneath it? And um, I think every loyalty manager probably does know that in deep down in their soul. They might not be justifying that up to the CEO, but they might know. They'll know what that's true. And I think now is the time to be honest about that. And in almost every element of that equation, there are ways, there are things you can do about it. You can look at your costs. You can look at the you, whether you can bring more revenue in. You can also look at whether you're in, truly influencing customers engaging. You can measure that, you know, and... Um, and I think now's now now if not any time is the time to look at that, because Phil, we see it every day, don't we, about about things where you go and see customers and you think if they're honest with them, you know, it's it's difficult telling people their baby's ugly, but sometimes you walk in there and go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we've had it, haven't we? We've had it in the last couple of months. We've had it two or three times. Oh my God, it, it, sad but true. Um, it, it it is sad, but sometimes these ugly babies are just 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 can't can't be made pretty. Um, <laughs> But every baby is going to grow up and create good in the world. So you know, we've, we've just got to help <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it. We've got to guide it. It just it's, needs it's a good terrible analogy. And... It's a terrible analogy. Uh, I know, but one thing I, I just want to say one thing, because sometimes when you talk about the financials, it's, it's sometimes it sounds more complicated than it is. Right? And I, I see many people, gla- like their eyes glaze over and they say, oh, I'll no. leave that to finance. And no, that's no, 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 the no. last thing you do. Don't leave it to finance. You need to. You need a, a reasonable level of understanding, and then you need to um, work with finance on some of this stuff. The stuff that, that Stuart was just talking about then, and regarding the, the sort of accounting treatment, it's not that complicated. But you need to understand it. You need to work with them, and then make sure that they don't do something which is going to give you a problem. Hmm. Yeah. So and get, um, and get your reporting set up that helps you understand what finance is talking about. If, if the reporting doesn't support the discussion at the table, um, keep asking for it to be changed. Keep looking at your dashboards on your billings per point and your cost per point, uh, the basic stuff that's going on in your program. And, uh, and yeah, um, keep asking questions until you understand. But most, most programs that we come across have some sort of, um, you know, I've never walked into a program where we've been brought in to you know, make a change. I've never walked in and not found something wrong in the financials. So don't think the finance team know what they're doing because yeah, half the time well, so, they get so it wrong specific. as well. It's so specific to loyalty that why would they, you know? Um, yeah. 
Anyway, well, thank you very much to Phil and thank you very much to Stuart. That's been brilliant. Stuart, I understand you're available for parties as well. What? Because, <laughs> you, 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 you know, as an accountant, you're uh, your top drawer. So, you know, it's... Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, can, you can come and talk to at my parties about whatever referent number you want to you're, you're always welcome you're always welcome thanks, thanks Ian I look forward to the invites so thank you very much for that guys thanks to Phil Gunter and Stuart Dennis for being such great guests if you like this podcast please like share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast we always love to hear your comments so please drop us a line Thank you again for listening and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks then and keep safe. Goodbye.